Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano back at it again, and he's recently describing what I've previously called corral theory. The idea is that Pope Francis wouldn't just create an explicit schism in the church, but that he would push one, that he would incite one by pushing people further and further away by more and more regulations and restrictions on the traditional Latin Mass. The idea, according to Archbishop Vigano, is it would push people more in the direction of the SSPX, the Society of St. Pius X. And then once that happens, to incite some flashpoint that would create a formal, legal, on-the-paper schism. And at that point, he could say, well, you know, we're just going to deal with you traditionalists the same way we deal with the Greek Orthodox or the Russian Orthodox. We kind of grant your validity, but we no longer see you as part of us. And we're going to look at some pretty hard-hitting quotes today by Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. Just as a reminder for those of you who have forgotten or those of you that are new, Archbishop Vigano, back in the summer of shame, 2018, released an 11-page expose detailing how ex-Cardinal McCarrick, he's now ex-Cardinal, back then he was Cardinal McCarrick, was involved in child abuse and that there was cover-up and shenanigans, not just in the United States, but all the way to the Vatican and even pointed the finger at Pope Francis himself. Since then, he's continued to issue a number of documents and commentaries on what's going on, not only in the church, but also in the world. And one of the themes of his perspective is deep church, deep state. All right. So there's what's perceived as the Catholic Church, perceived as, you could say, the United States. And then behind the scenes in the structures of power are those who are compromising or undermining that which we hold to be good, true, and beautiful. I want to lead off with one of these quotes from Archbishop Vigano. This one right here is, is pretty, pretty hard-hitting. He says, the Bergoglian hierarchy, that is the hierarchy of Francis, the Bergoglian hierarchy will be able to exercise full control over the clergy and people, certain of the obedience of those who remain in this sect, which will only have the name of Catholic, and perhaps not even that anymore, will totally eclipse the bride of the Lamb and the paradox of the traitorous and corrupt hierarchy that abuses Christ's authority to destroy his church, end quote. Now, this eclipse of the church is something that I cover extensively in my book, Infiltration. If you haven't read it, please get a copy. You can get signed copies at patreon.com forward slash DR Taylor Marshall. That idea comes from Our Lady of La Salette, a private revelation of the Virgin Mary in the 1800s, which talks about the eclipse of the church. And the idea of an eclipse is not that the sun disappears, but that the sun is obscured. The light of the sun is blocked. And this is the image found in Our Lady of La Salette, that the church, the bride of Christ, will be obscured at some point in the future, perhaps even happening now, so that it's hard to discern the light of the sun. The sun is still there. The church is still there. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The church can never go away. But the truth of the gospel message proclaimed by the Catholic church since the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that will be 
obscured. And Our Lady of La Salette goes one further and says, Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of the Antichrist. So in this quote, Archbishop Vigano says, the Bergoglian hierarchy, which he identifies with those who adhere to Pope Francis in Rome, that this sect will only have the name of Catholics, and perhaps not even that anymore, it will totally eclipse the bride of the Lamb. And the paradox of a traitorous and corrupt hierarchy that abuses Christ's authority to destroy the church. The idea here also, you've heard Archbishop Athanasius Schneider talk about it, is the passion of the church. So the passion of the church is the idea that Christ, towards the end of his ministry, he came into Jerusalem, hailed, Hosanna in the highest. And by the end of that week, they were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And then he hung nearly naked on the wood of the cross and died and was put into a tomb, similar to the idea of the eclipse. Christ is there. He died. And now there's a stone rolled in front of him. Where is he? The confusion was so great that even the apostles fled. Only John the apostle stayed at the foot of the cross. Even then, it says, when Christ was about to appear to them, the apostles were hiding in the upper room, he says, for fear of the Jews. This idea that at the end of the ministry of Christ, this passion happened, leading to his death and burial, that at the same time in the church, which is the bride of Christ, she will mirror what happened to her bridegroom, to Christ, that she will be tortured, she will be whipped, she will be mocked, she will carry the heavy burden of the cross, she'll be lifted up and exposed to the entire world, died and seemingly extinguished, hidden away, and yet resurrection will come. So this idea of death and burial, this idea of um, eclipse, is what Archbishop Vigano is talking about. Now, here's another quote from Archbishop Vigano. The progressive restrictions on the celebration of the ancient liturgy serve to confine conservatives to hunting reserves in order to then channel them towards the Society of St. Pius X. As soon as the Synod leads the doctrinal, moral, and disciplinary changes that are in the pipeline to their tragic consequences, causing an exodus of Catholics into what, after the suppression or normalization of the Ecclesia Dei Institutes, will become the monopolist of tradition. This again is this idea of corralling the faithful. Now he refers there to the Ecclesia Dei communities. What does he mean by the Ecclesia Dei communities? He's referring to the Fraternity of St. Peter, the Institute of Christ the King, um, the Institute of the Good Shepherd, and other groups that under Pope John Paul II and Pope Ben XVI had this, not just toleration, but this official status in the church, culminating in Sumorum Pontificum with Pope Ben XVI. Pope Ben XVI not only recognized these groups, but he said, everyone, every Catholic priest, can say the traditional Latin Mass without permission, a universal grant, a universal indult that has all been taken away by Pope Francis. Traditionus Custodis completely did away 
overturned that decree of Pope Benedict XVI. And that's why here Archbishop Vigano is referring to the progressive restrictions on the celebration of the ancient liturgy. It's confining conservatives to hunting reserves, or we might say, I use the word corral, pushing them further and further away. And if you read this interview, I'll read some more quotes here in a little bit. The idea is, and I think Archbishop Vigano is dead on here, the style of Pope Francis is not to come out and say, I hereby decree as the successor of Peter and Paul in union with the apostolic see and my predecessors and on and on and on. I hereby excommunicate and place under interdiction these people. He's much more, here's what I want to do. Here's my liberalized agenda. I'm going to create the synod of synodality and pretend that I'm consulting all these people and then eventually get my agenda through this sort of populist mechanism. He's doing the same thing. It's like this. Oh, you guys can have the traditional Latin mass, but you have to jump through this hoop, this hoop, this hoop, and this hoop. Well, we don't want to jump through the fourth hoop. How could you be so selfish? Here I am trying to give you the traditional Latin mass. I'm bending over backwards and giving you all these possibilities, and you won't keep jumping through the hoops. You bad boy, I'm taking away your treats. You see, by making it more and more and more difficult, eventually there comes a point where the people say, I just can't go anymore. Whether that's the ordination rites, whether that's the confirmation rites of the traditional versus the Novus Ordo, whether that's modifications to the traditional Latin Mass, whether that's banning parishes but only having chapels and oratories, all these microaggressions that are happening. That's the style of Francis. Let's look at some more of these quotes from Archbishop Vigano, and then I'm going to open up comments and questions. And, and right now, if you're watching, please leave a comment or question. Let me know. Do you think Pope Francis is moving towards a Latin mass schism? Is that on the agenda? Are these restrictions moving towards that direction? Leave a comment, leave a question, and then I'm going to go into the live chat and engage with you all there. Here's another thing that, Arch by the way, all of this is coming from an interview with Aldo Maria Valli, Archbishop Vigano. Uh, it happened within the last week. Uh, Archbishop Vigano sent me an email with, with these texts. And um, I think it's important. It, it, it's a lot of what Vigano has said before, but now he's talking explicitly about a coming schism. And I think each and every one of us has to ask the question, where do we fall? if such a thing were to occur. All right, so Archbishop Vigano says that this movement in the Vatican is there to separate in one way or another the good part of the faithful and clerics from the official church, and to achieve this to ensure that they distance themselves from the modernist Sanhedrin. Now I'm going to pause here. What's the modernist Sanhedrin? Well, as you know, the Sanhedrin was the council of the Jewish elders and high priests during the time before Christ and during the life of Christ. The Sanhedrin is the body of judges, the body of elders that condemned Christ to crucifixion. And here, oddly enough, maybe not so odd, 
Archbishop Vigano is using the same term, Sanhedrin, or modernist Sanhedrin, to that body of the hierarchy that adheres to Francis Bergoglio. He says, they distance themselves from the modernist Sanhedrin. He, Francis, has placed in key positions in the Roman Curia those characters who guarantee the worst possible management of the dicasteries entrusted to them with the worst possible result and the greatest damage to the ecclesial body. Now, who's he talking about? Well, if you've been watching the Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast, by the way, like and subscribe. If you've been watching in the last week or so, you've seen that Francis has appointed this guy right here. Archbishop Victor Manuel Fernandez. He's from Argentina, where Francis is from. And Archbishop Fernandez, who will be named a cardinal, it's already been announced, wrote this book, controversial book, Heal Me With Your Mouth, The Art of Kissing, which has some very strange poems in it. For example, and you pensively miss with that open mouth while behind you remain the raving lunatics. Come on down, my dear, before you awaken suddenly someone desperate with a terrible hickey. How is God so cruel as to give you that mouth? There's not one who resists me, which hide it. The original Spanish is which, bruja, not the B word right there. Yeah, so th this guy is now in charge of doctrine, the congregation for the doctrine of the faith, the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, over the entire world. That's a Francis appointment. That's a Francis decision. So when Archbishop Vigano talks about how Francis is placing in key positions the worst possible people, let's look at Cardinal Roche. He's now in charge of liturgy. He's probably one of the worst possible candidates for that position, and yet there he is, prefect. He's number one over liturgy. Same thing when it comes to congregation for the bishops. Same thing when it comes to congregation for the religious life. And so on and so forth. It's like you're trying to bankrupt a once successful corporation. You put the worst people in your leadership positions. Archbishop Vigano also says regarding Fernandez, heal me with your mouth, Fernandez, he says, it's Francis's aim to create confrontation, to let it grow, encourage the supporters of the most extreme requests with appointments and promotions. This leads to a predictable reaction of condemnation from the few good remaining clergy, bishops, priests, and this is a new term. I like this. This is, this is a new Vigano catchphrase. It's Bergoglio's trap door. Bergoglio being Francis. Bergoglio's trap door. As he puts more and more poorly qualified people into the most important positions in the church. For example, Cardinal Farrell as Chamberlain, Camerlengo. Get this, Cardinal Farrell, former Bishop of Dallas, who used to be the roommate of ex-Cardinal McCarrick, but never saw anything, who was once involved in Maciel Maciel's Legionary of Christ, once was a member, he is appointed Camerlingo. He is the one, according to canon law, who will oversee the election of the new Pope. That's his job as Camerlingo. 
So all of the so the ex roommate of McCarrick is going to oversee the election of the next vicar of Christ, Roman Pontiff. Do you see what Francis is doing here? The worst possible candidates every place. And what does that do? It scandalizes and chases out the remaining few good bishops, priests, monks, brothers, nuns, and lay people. And that Vigano calls Bergoglio's trap door. And so Vigano says, we have a binary choice. We can suffer in silence, and there's certainly merit to that in the Catholic tradition, or we activate, we reject heresy, we run away from heresy, we protect our children from heresy. And I think depending on where you are in the church and what your vocation is, I think both of those could be viable options. For me, my vocation, I have this microphone. I'm a dad on webcam on YouTube. Uh, I have a voice, so I think I, I belong to the latter. I'm also a father. I have to take care of eight children, a wife. I have to provide through the assistance with the church, sacraments for my children, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, God willing, matrimony, holy orders, unction, if we become sick and die. Bergoglio also says that the modernist Sanhedrin around Bergoglio does not hesitate to limit the rights of bishops to prevent them from helping certain traditional communities to survive. And it significantly extends the rights of other bishops beyond the law by sanitating the irregularities, irregularities and abuses of its own lackeys whenever it serves to suppress and persecute such communities. Classic example is Bishop Strickland in Tyler, Texas is under apostolic visitation. Or you look at a Father Frank Pavone, uh, a Father Altman. And then you look at, I can't remember his name now, who was the priest uh, working at the USCCB who was busted using a gay hookup app and he's now a pastor in good standing. Or you look at Father Rupnik, who I call Father Rapnik, who was, who was raping nuns, molesting nuns, having group orgies, using sacramental blessed items and such orgies. And he's in trouble, but he's not in as much trouble as some of these other people, and he's doing way worse stuff. Why? Because he's a liberal, modernist, Jesuit. He's a friend of Francis. It's a double standard. We've all seen it. It's a double standard. Whatever you think about doctrine and dogma and moral theology of Francis, you can definitely discern there's a double standard. The, right now, right now, my friends, in Germany, bishops and priests are doing the blessings of unnatural unions. It's happening right now, probably last weekend in places. None of those guys are disciplined. None of those bishops are under investigation. None of them. But Bishop Strickland in Little Tyler, Texas, is under apostolic visitation because he is stalwart in his preaching. 
Who was the only bishop who showed up in Los Angeles when you have the, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence mocking the crucifix and mocking the religious life of religious sisters? Strickland was alone. And his reward? Investigation. Remember, keep praying for Bishop Strickland, by the way. So this is the observation. This is the... I don't want to say prophecy, but this is the uh, projection of Archbishop Vigano, and I 100% agree with him. And I want to hear from you. We're streaming on YouTube. We're streaming on Twitter. We're streaming on Facebook. First off, welcome to the Dr. Taylor Marshall Podcast. Make sure you like the video. Thumbs up. How many thumbs up we got? 351 thumbs up, but there's 1,451 of you watching. We got to hit some thumbs up. Share it. Like it. Let's go into the comments. Let's go into the questions. I want to hear from y'all. All right. And make sure if you're asking a question, you use the question mark because there's a lot of you in here. And uh, that way I can see your question. And, and, the, and the big, the prompt for all of you today is, is Vigano correct? And is Francis provoking a schism? Again, I don't think Francis is going to come out dogmatically and pronounce a schism. He's going to provoke a schism. And he's going to say, see, you guys are so bad. I tried to work with you. I tried. Like, well, we want to have, we want to baptize our children in the old Roman rite and have old Roman confirmations. And you said no. And that's, but we had it before. And he's like, well, I was trying to be nice to you. Why, why, why is nothing ever enough for you people? Why'd you go in schism? Why you got to be like that? All right. Here we go. Into your comments and into your questions. Here's Stephanie. She says, Dr. Marshall, if everything gets approved at the Senate, what should us lady people do? Do you think protests would be the right thing to do? Okay, look. Bishops don't care if you go stand outside their cathedral with the sign. They probably just laugh at you. Bad bishops, they're out there. Bad bishops care about two things chiefly, public shame and money. That's the currency of the bad clergy because that's what motivates criminals, right? Public shame and money at the end of the day. So that's what they'll hear. Now, I think we are so far gone down the road that ultimately... We have to create our own communities. We have to vote with our feet, vote with our money. We have to support with our time, our treasure, our talents, everything we have to the, the real, valid, true, orthodox, Catholic priests. What that looks like in 2023 or what it's going to look like in, in 2033, we don't really know. But that's what we really have to do. This fire of heresy is burning because the lay people are giving it, in good conscience and in goodwill, giving it oxygen. Take away the oxygen. If your bishop is promoting pharmaceutical companies, if your bishop is promoting heresy, do not drop money into the envelope for the diocesan appeal. Why would you do that? Would you give money to a political candidate who is opposed 
to your convictions? No. So why would you do it in the church just because he wears a pointy hat? Not enough reason for that. You must become intentional in support and give oxygen to that which is good. So I don't think protests, I think writing a letter is good. Everybody should write a letter to their bishop and express their concerns. They see those, but it's not enough to change them. That's why I say pray your rosary every day. It's better to have prayer, have people working up in heaven for us. All right, going back into your comments and questions. Cal McDonald, P.I. So Dr. Taylor is espousing a parallel economy within our own church, like an American boycotts of woke products. I agree. More or less, that's what we're saying here. Yeah. Yeah. We must demand. You see, you as a layperson by baptism have a right. This is a Catholic teaching. Have a right to receive the sacraments according to a Catholic right. R-I-T. I'm using right. R-I-G-H-T and R-I-T-E. You have a right to a Catholic right. Two different words for the right. If you're not getting that, again, I don't think it's a boycott per se, because there's only there's only one true church, but you do support where there is life and grace and orthodoxy and consistency and true pastoral assistance. You do not give oxygen and money to wherever it is heretical. You must flee heresy. You, can, you have to cover your ears and not listen to heresy and cover the ears of your children. You cannot listen to heresy. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, instituted the Catholic Church to rightfully administer the seven sacraments and to proclaim the truth. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. If they're not doing that, they don't deserve anything from you because they're not just depriving you of what Christ wants you to have. They're actually taking, it's not like they're just not giving you food. They're actually not giving you food and then trying to give you cancer. Going back into your comments and into your questions. Thanks for everybody being here. Welcome to the Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast. Everybody from YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, this is a good question from Believe It. The tithe is one of the five commands of the church. What should we do? Giving to the church is very simple. If you are in severe poverty, like you can't, you can barely pay for your groceries and to have a heater in your home or to keep a roof over your house. The Catholic Church does not expect you to put even one penny in the plate or in the basket, right? Because you have no surplus, all right? So I am, what I'm about to say does not apply to those people at all. In fact, the Catholic Church teaches that we are here to help you. If you cannot eat, you cannot stay warm, you cannot clothe yourself, you cannot house yourself, we, the Catholic Church, are here to help you. So those people should not be asked to support any money. The norm in the Old Testament and the norm in church history is a tithe, 10% of your net income, right? So if you make $100,000, the norm would be to give 10,000 
of your net. Does that have to go all one place? Not necessarily. Maybe 2,000 go to the nuns, 1,000 goes to the seminary, and 7,000 goes to your parish, however you cut that up. Now, for a lot of people, they hear that and they say, whoa, that's a lot of money, 10%. So here's what I suggest to people who are intimidated by the 10%. Think of yourself as paying your own way, at least supporting what you consume. All right, so none of y'all out there have any problem, unless you're poor, poor, like what I described before, have any problem going to a movie theater on a Friday or Saturday and spending 15 bucks to watch a movie. None of y'all out there have a problem with that, right? So if you go to mass and you're a dad and a wife and you have eight kids, that's 10 people, you should pay 10 to 15 bucks. I'm not talking about admission, right? This is not, you don't have to pay admission to go to mass. But look, you're in a building, there's air conditioning, there's lights on, that priest up there saying mass, he has to eat food and stay somewhere. They got to buy sacramental wine. They got to buy hosts. They got to buy incense, right? There's basic maintenance to keep the sacramental church life going. And if you just want to think of it as bare minimum, you need to just pay for what you are, your spot in the pew, your use of air condition, your use of that priest's time and sacramental ministry. I'm not talking about poor, poor people, right? So that's kind of, I think, the bare minimum on giving. And then you should go, if you can, to the 10%. And then beyond that, you get to the level of benefactor. Benefactor is like, I want to build a church. I want to commission an altar. I want to commission a set of 20 pieces of stained glass. Or I'm going to buy all new vestments. Now you're in the benefactor realm where you're going above and beyond. And that's very meritorious if it's done out of charity, not out of pride. So those are the four levels. Very poor, don't give anything. That's, that's right. Admission, just you got you to gotta cover what you're consuming. Just think of it like 10 to 20 bucks, right? You're there a tithe, and then benefactor. Now, the question here is, what do we do in a crisis where the people asking for your money are not presenting the Catholic faith or presenting the Catholic liturgy or the Catholic morality? You know, you, you go into confession and you, you, you say things that are sins. They say, that's not a sin. You can keep doing that. That's fine. Don't be so puritanical. They change the words of the holy sacrifice of the mass, however they want them to be. They are promoting liberal agendas like, you know, BLM or pharmaceutical companies. That's not what they're there to do. For me, in my convictions, they don't get one penny. They get zero pennies. They get nothing. Zero. Nothing. And what that means is I have to be creative, I have to do research, I have to be intentional of where I give money. Is this apostolate truly reaching out and saving babies and helping mothers? Yes, give. 
is this monastery truly holding the Catholic faith and inspiring vocation for young men? Yes, give money. Does this seminary truly prepare men to believe the faith of the ages as it's been for 20 centuries, or is it a new modernist twist on things? If it's traditional, if it's orthodox, it's right, I'm going to give it. You might say to me, well, I feel like I need to support my local diocesan seminary, but I know they teach some things that are wrong there. For me, that's a no-go. So you as a Catholic, you know, of the precepts of the church, you have to support the pastors of the church. You have to support the church. In our time, you have to be discerning and intentional, and you have to do your research. I don't think there's any merit. I don't, I don't think the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost look down and you're just writing checks to whatever appeals going on. I honestly think the good Lord gave us a mind and you got to research and you got to give accordingly and you got to be generous, but you need to give to the places where it has the biggest impact. Think about it as an investment. That's how ICE talks about it. You put five, you get five talents, you, you make five talents, you're up now at 10 talents. Where does the money that you have make the biggest impact? A diocesan slush fund? No. Good question. I've, I always kind of don't want to talk about that. And that was a, that was a good springboard to, to discuss it about giving. Going back into your comments and into your questions. The traditional Thomas says, what are your thoughts about the potential of two popes, post Francis pontificate, one conservative, one liberal thoughts? I think it's very possible. I think we get into a conclave and there's monkey business with the modernists because they're so inept or maybe they're just malicious. And then you have maybe other cardinals that say, oh, well, we can't do that. That's not canonical. Or you do a little cum ex apostolatus and you say, that man is a heretic. He can't even be pope which is the teaching of the church, cum ex apostolatus. By the way, I'm going to read cum ex on the podcast here. I'm just going to read it. It's going to blow some minds. Cum ex apostolatus states that if a man were a heretic prior to nomination, appointment, or election to any office, that nomination, election, or appointment is invalid. So if a man is a heretic, Prior to him receiving that office, and he receives an office, it is invalid. He is deprived of that office. Heresy deprives someone of that office. Very powerful teaching. That could happen in a conclave. That would lead likely to two popes, a real pope and an anti-pope. Or maybe an anti-pope and an anti-pope. I don't know. Who knows how this could happen? But... Again, this goes back to the idea of the eclipse. Whatever happens, however dark it gets, the tomb is sealed with the round stone. The church still exists, and you can't leave the church. There's only one true church. Even though everything becomes dark. Going back into your comments, I'm in the live chat right now. I want to hear from y'all. Do you agree with Vigano? Sandra Meyer, I just saw Peter's Pence envelope sent to me, was debating on sending just $1. Now I'm thinking nothing at all. 
Nothing at all. Why waste a dollar on that? I mean, Francis sent Peter Pence money to push people across the Mexican-Texas border, which is a hotbed of human trafficking, sex trafficking, drug trafficking, crime. Yes, we have to be compassionate to immigrants. Yes, we have to help the poor. Yes, we need to be compassionate on our border. But throwing money at an illegal, sinful situation is wrong. And that's what Francis did with Peter Pence money. Look it up. So why would you put $1 to it? Would you give $1 to Joe Biden's presidential campaign? I wouldn't. Not one red cent. That's me. Everybody discern your own conscience. Do your own research. That's me. Lucky Life says she's a new subscriber. Thank you, Lucky Life. Everybody subscribe. Do it. We also need some more likes. We only have 750 out of 1,600. Hit that like button. Let's go. Going back to your comments. This is Tammy. She says, I've seen that as well. I'm not Catholic, but I can see decisions being made that seem to lead away from God, from the Pope, world leaders and organizations who claim to be faith-based. It's the biggest sham. Jesus called it, you will have wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus Christ, the second person in Trinity, prophesied infallibly and told us that this was going to happen. By the way, Tammy, I like your, uh, your image here, Sound of Freedom. Good movie. Everybody go see Sound of Freedom. It's an excellent film. And if you want to buy tickets or get free tickets, go to angel.com. That's the studio, angel.com forward slash Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R. You can get tickets there or get free tickets, angel.com forward slash Taylor. I'm helping with the distribution of the film. I believe in it. I think it's very powerful. Sal says, come on, everyone. You either believe in the word of Christ or you don't. This pope is not the pope. Archbishop Vigano is correct. It's clear this so-called Catholic leadership is descending into Satanism. Very strong words here from Sal. Um, yeah, this raises the question of what is the point of the papacy? What is the point of the church? Why did Jesus Christ institute the church? We already said that. To preserve his teaching not a private pope teaching, the teaching of Jesus Christ communicated to the 12 apostles to be preserved over time until his coming again. It's called the deposit of faith. It's like if you took a million dollars, deposited in the bank, and you came back 20 years later, and you still got the million dollars in there. If you came back and there's 500,000, you'd be upset with the bank. Say, I deposited this much and it's not there. So Jesus deposited the deposit of faith all the doctrine, all the morality, and when he comes back, it's all supposed to be there. So if you have a pope, a bishop, a priest, a deacon, and he's taking out of that deposit, he's saying, no, that's not, you, you can have contraception. You can abort if, if it's in your conscience. You know, you can get divorced and remarry as many times as you want and still come to communion and go to confession. They are stealing out of the deposit. They're reducing the deposit. They are working actively against the reason Jesus instituted the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. They must be resisted. Full stop. 
And that applies. I know people are going to get a little nervous here. That applies to the Pope as well. In fact, it applies to the Pope par excellence. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it or against her. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He is not the king. He is the steward. He is the key holder. If I own real estate and I have a property manager and I give him the keys to everything, that means he has the power to open and close those doors. That's why I gave him the keys. He opens and closes doors. That doesn't mean that he has the power to paint the place pink, put on a new roof, rearrange the furniture, buy new furniture, turn off the electricity. It's my property. He has the keys. He's there to do the will of the owner, the will of the king, the will of the landlord. That's why Christ is the king of kings and the Lord of lords over all the land, over all the earth. The Pope is not allowed to go in and, and rearrange the furniture in the church to increase or decrease the deposit. He's there with the keys to open and close doors, to bind and to loose, not to change. And that's the problem. Every Pope that's ever been should have the exact same Catholic faith. 100% agreement on the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Ten Commandments, the precepts of the Church, the seven sacraments. Every Pope from Peter to the Pope at the end of time, they should all have the exact same faith because they have the same keys opening the same locks. All right, we're going to do a couple more comments and questions in here. Make sure you like the video, share, etc. Y'all are really lit up today. I like it. Here's a super chat from Suzanne. Thank you, Suzanne. Appreciate that. Very kind of you. By the way, if you want to really support this channel, I always encourage people to go to patreon.com. A, um, it's more direct. It's better. And B, through Patreon, I'm able to say thank you. So I will send you signed books. I'll send you a rosary, depending on the different levels. Um, it's just a, a better way for me to thank you for supporting this channel. So go to patreon.com forward slash DR Taylor Marshall. If you want to support this podcast, that's the way to do it. All right, we're going to do one more comment. One more question. All right, this is, this is an interesting one. Crusader, we can criticize Francis for his selection of cardinals and bishops, but no one dare criticize Christ for his election of one of the 12, Judas. Yeah, so let's talk about this. Christ is God. He 100% knew infallibly that Judas was going to betray him. He had the freedom to say, you know what? I don't want Judas. But listen, the ministry of Jesus Christ was to culminate in his own crucifixion. 
So he chose this infallibly in his divine wisdom for him to accomplish the divine redemption, the atonement for mankind, to be crucified for sinners. That was part of his divine wisdom in the plan to become the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for all sinners. He was betrayed by one of his own. And that one, he, we know from him, went to hell. He's the son of perdition, says that in the Gospels. The difference is he was exposed, right? He was brought to an end. What we see happening in Francis is the constant promotion of people who are Judas bishops, Judas cardinals, Judas priests, but not for the sake of atonement or redemption, but for the sake of confusion, for the sake of an ideology that is, at root, Marxist, marked by liberation theology, which is just sort of the Catholic veneer version of Marxism. Globalism. Modernism. Rationalism. For example, Francis will say, when Christ multiplied the loaves, this is what Francis Bergoglio teaches, when he multiplied the loaves, it wasn't an actual miracle of multiplying the, the material, physical, atomic bread. It's everyone opened up their own lunch bag and shared with one another. It was a miracle of sharing and caring. This is the kind of false teaching that is propagated, or this, you know, the, the heal me with your mouth stuff, right? That's the difference. I don't think we can put our Lord Jesus Christ and Francis Bergoglio in the same cart and say, yeah, but Judas, yeah, but Judas. It's entirely different. But good comment, good question. All right, everybody, thanks for watching. We're going to pray in Our Father right now for the state of the church. And we're going to pray Hail Mary for Archbishop Vigano. Oremus nomini patris et fidi et spiritus sancti. Amen. Pater nostre, qui est in celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, secut in cello et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, secut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, Sed libera nos amalo. Amen. And for Archbishop Vigano, Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in molieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu, Iesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or pronobis peccatoribus, nunc editor mortis nostre. Amen. Nomini Patris, et Fidi, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for watching this episode of the Dr. Taylor Marshall Podcast. brought to you by... The new St. Thomas Institute, you can take all 10 courses. We have summer enrollment going on right now. I'm teaching online courses on the Latin Mass, philosophy, Thomas Aquinas, Old Testament, New Testament, apologetics, medieval theology, church fathers. It's all there, and during the summer, summer enrollment, you get all 10 courses. Go to nsti.com, nsti.com, and, and sign up for summer courses. Join thousands of people who are benefiting from it. Great, attain, great retainment, great value, and you'll become confident in your Catholicism, fluent in your Catholicism.
All right, everybody, thanks for watching. And remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Godspeed. Pray for Holy Mother of the Church.